Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode for 2020 of the T-Bone Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tarun Agarwal, and this week's episode, we have a very special guest, and I'm actually going to be doing a talk with my brother, Ravi Agarwal and uh, Sully Sullivan was joining us to kind of get things going. So I want to wish everybody a happy new year. And uh, episode 169 is going to be with Dr. Ravi Agarwal. And as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Miss Meredith Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome back and happy 2020. I'm so excited for a big year ahead for everyone, all of you guys, especially everyone at 3D Dentists. Meredith, we've been having great weather here. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. This is going to be fun. These classes, we're having lunch outside. We're we're poolside in North Carolina <laughs> in the winter. Don't worry. It'll change tomorrow, I'm sure yes. of it. But we're, we're slammed full. We have classes back-to-back. We're sold out for all of our January courses. We're into February, March. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah, that's good. So, um, <clears throat> everybody, so we're going to try to start talking a little bit about what's going on before we get into the episode. And I want to share a story with you guys. Um, my wife made me go to Charleston during our Christmas trip. Sorry, during Christmas break because I tried to do a staycation, and she decided she couldn't do a staycation. <laughs> And then my son wanted to take the Tesla for some reason, so we had to stop and charge a couple of times. And then I forgot that my Tesla had some older tires on it. So on the way back, my tire blew in the middle of nowhere, and then Tesla tires aren't very readily available. We had to wait for the tow truck. The tow truck wasn't able to get there that night, so then we were able to ask the um, convenience store owners, who happened to be Indians, uh, to drive us to a hotel like 15 miles away because where we broke, our, where we tire busted, there was no Uber and Lyft service out there. Uh, so my wife is a bit angry with me, but 24 hours later, we made it home with four brand new tires <laughs> on our car. So that was an interesting trip. I was going to say, why did you leave so late at night? Um, we were, I was, I wanted to get back to play golf. Yeah. It's always about the golf. <laughs> well, it's, it's always a little bit self-focused. Of yeah, course. We know there's a reason. Well, we just had our, so we did Christmas this year, um, at the office after you guys got back from Charleston. So that yeah. was after Christmas, which is the first time we've done this. It was also the first year everyone from both offices could make it. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of fun. We went shopping. Yeah. So for this year's, for this year's quote unquote holiday party, um, we took our, uh, both our offices, um, uh, my dental practice and my wife's medical psychiatry practice. Uh, and by the way, that's 32 team members now between the two. Um, and, uh, we went to the mall, South Point mall 
Uh, we made everybody meet us at Maggiano's because that's where we were going to have, we were going to have afternoon lunch. But then we surprised everybody with a gift card to go shopping at Nordstrom's. And what were the rules? But we had three rules. I think there was three. You had to spend all the money. You had to spend it on yourself or you had to give the money back. That's correct. And then uh, we did have dinner at Maggiano's. And then we had a show and tell episode, show and tell where everybody showed uh, all their uh, whatever they bought. Some people tried on, (laughs) modeled their clothes. Some things were not appropriate to model (laughs) on. So that was pretty good. So um, uh, that was a lot of fun. So uh, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about... um, uh, growing up together with my brother and uh, what led him to dental school, what led him to oral surgery residency, what he's doing in oral surgery as a program director, and uh, kind of uh, like the challenge or the positives and negatives of being an oral surgeon and working with a general dentist. Uh, so uh, I listen to this podcast live. It's a little long, but it's really good. So it's worth it, you guys. Absolutely. So let's go to this week's episode, episode 169 with Dr. Ravi Agarwal. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the T-Bone Speaks podcast. I am live. I am the new and finer white T-Bone. Well, I wasn't white to begin with. So yeah, actually quite brown. Yeah, but I'd like to hear what your your and, people would say about and, that. And like I, how white, how brown are you compared I'm to like the real the dark, brown I'm a, people? I'll be on the dark chocolate side uh, of brown. And I think you're super outnumbered today because I got my younger brother with me. I am I have so to stop saying, I have to stop saying little brother because you're not my little brother. You're not, we're not like kids anymore. Yeah, you just got a few inches on me otherwise. Uh, that's what she said. Yeah, we're going to say, <laughs> now we're talking. All right, guys. All right, guys. As the moderator in this, we're not going to get where like, this is not a measuring contest. All right. So let's go slow, but okay. I'm excited. This will be fun. Well, you know, I've been wanting to bring him on. I've talked to him about it, and he, he always says, well, what are we going to talk about? I got nothing to talk about. What Plenty are, to talk about. What are people about. interested in? And then like, magically Sully shows up today and just convinces <laughs> the situation. Well, so, it just kind of pushes it a little bit. That's what I'm here bit. for. All right, so uh, we're going to bring my younger brother on, uh, Ravi Agarwal, uh, our bone, as I like to call him, internally. He uh, made a surprise <laughs> visit to visit the parents. Uh, not to visit me, but to visit the parents. And the kids. And I think he got bored at home, and it seems he stays with my parents when he comes. Uh, he got bored at home and decided that to, to end his boredom, he would show up at my place. Probably needed some food, to be quite honest with you. Okay, so here's here's the deal. Here's kind of where I think we should take this, because I'm the moderator. Well, I think we need to introduce him at least. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, what I want to hear is I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're doing. You know where how you got into this? Because obviously a lot of us have heard Timo's story, right? And um, and so I want to hear your side of the story, and I want to hear what it's like having to deal with. T-Bone as an older brother as you became your story. Well, I think people got to understand we were eight, ten, eight years apart, nine years oh, apart. Exactly. So that plays a big so, role in it. So well. we didn't, you know, I left, I left for college when you were what, five years old? Third grade. Third grade. So yeah. like six years eight, old. Yeah, six, so then let's, old. let's do this. Then start back where, you know, when y'all have moved here, let's go back, let's go back, you know, towards almost the Rockingham days and, and mm-hmm. start from there. Well, you know, it's interesting because my, my, recollection of Rockingham is going to be very different than what he yeah. grew up in. Yeah. He grew up in the motel. Well, I did. Well, I mean, we were in a, a house. Yeah, you yeah, you actually a lived a in a home. I lived in a motel room. Right. But I still had to deal with, like, I couldn't clean. I didn't get put to work as much as he did. <laughs> and you were, I was so much And when you were five, so we moved younger. into a real house right. in a normal, like, outside in the, the hotel. In a, in a neighborhood. Right. Gotcha. So, neighborhood okay. so you're still in. <laughs> neighborhood So I had friends in the neighborhood. So it was a neighborhood for me. But, you know, in the end, it was... 
I had a, it still went through the same phases of, of growth in a small town. You know, so my family, my parents were in a little better situation. So I got to be spoiled a little bit more than T-Bone was growing up. I still feel, I felt pretty spoiled though growing up. I didn't, I didn't ever feel that we didn't have. Correct. I, I agree. Didn't, I, I, agree. I, I didn't understand. It's relative, right? Well, I wouldn't even say relative. I would say that my parents never made us feel that we didn't have. Uh, and uh, I just didn't know. I didn't know what Louis Vuitton was growing up. Sure. I didn't know, the first time my wife gave me a... Uh, a Cartier wallet. I said, "What's Cartier?" <laughs> and she's proceeded to take it right back from me. Yeah, she's like, ah, that's a bad idea. And uh, so I didn't know any of those things. To me, fancy was going out to eat Chinese, right? Uh, Mexican was or driving Bell. driving twenty minutes to go watch a movie. That the, yeah. we didn't have a movie theater growing up, so thirty minute drive, forty minute drive, you go eat Thai food and go watch a movie. It's crazy. I didn't even get Thai food. I only got Lungwa Chinese <laughs> <laughs> shrimp fried rice, extra shrimp. Um, but ultimately, you know, once he moved out, I went through school and then I was fortunate to, what was y'all's relationship back then? It was like, were y'all close or it was big brother, little brother, very much big brother, little brother. I was annoying. I was annoying little brother, Uh, especially in the younger days. I was an angry teenager. Yeah, Sure. I get that. I'm still angry. So (laughs) obviously, so I learned all my diplomatic skills from him being angry all the time. No, but, uh, it was a lot of fun for me because I was a little, I was just that little brat kind of running around and. Um, but sure. once I got to prof- uh, college, undergrad, and dental school, and I think it's really when our relationship started changing. Did you? Did you? Because obviously, eight years means he's finished dental school before you started. Oh yeah. School. yeah. Oh, I finished he, dental school while he was in high school. High school. Yeah, I was in high school. So he was you, in tenth grade, I think. Eleventh grade. You were going you moved between back. tenth yeah. and eleventh grade when I finished dental school. So when I moved back to North Carolina, I mean, my my he's going to eleventh grade. Wow. Right. So did you at that point? Did you like look up to him? Did you think that oh, was cool? Or yeah, one hundred percent. No, bull crap. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. Yeah, one hundred percent. I did um, because in eleventh grade, I actually moved out of Rockingham and went to a boarding school in Durham. Okay. Um, so I was actually thirty minutes away from him. Wow. So I got spoiled with him. I couldn't have a car in boarding school, so he'd go at this time secretly go see Mona. And fly down to Florida, and I get the car for the weekend, and I'm like joy riding around uh, with the car. It was great. Um, but that's when my passion. I always thought about dentistry and medicine. You know, uh, it was force fed on us to a it certain force degree. Fed, As a, although not so much in our family, but culturally, sure. No, it's I get force that. Fed. Professional professional school and, is force fed, too. and we got to see a lot. Of was it. that more from you know, obviously your dad being a dentist, but. Was that from your, was him primarily or was your from mom too? No, or? it's just cultural. It's culturally. It's it is so culture. culturally that, uh, so look, when you're an immigrant, there's only one way to guarantee moving up education. Only one way. Okay. And when you're an immigrant, the only one way to guarantee that you will get far in life or have the opportunity to get far in life is to be your own boss. Okay. Mm. So those things were innate in us culturally. So that's why professional school specifically doctors becomes a, a big yeah. one. Well, any, any education at this point so yeah traditionally you'd be doctor engineer but now it's you're going to see the pharmacy lawyers, lawyers you're seeing that expansion professional, professional business professional okay. hotel to owners. have a skill set sure. is yeah, probably yeah. the biggest thing yeah that makes sense yeah so you know so once i kind of fell in love with dentistry when he opened his practice which was probably 2000, like 2001, 2001 right when you graduated high school right when i got to high school because it was and fascinating it to, me. to look at then. <laughs> um, it was fascinating to me though, because a lot of the conversation was, it was, it was, there's a marketing conversation. There was a IT conversation. There was an accounting conversation. Now that I could, I only that I can keep up with him was IT. Sure. Um, you know, help him come on the weekends. He'd pick me up. I'd go help set up 
buy PCs, go to the PC store and buy stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. Um, but <laughs> it worked out fine. But it worked out fine. But that's when I said, you know, this is such an interesting field. I already knew a little bit about it. But that's when it really hit me and said, you're more than just a technician. You really get to see small business. So it hit home to say, all right, this is what I want to do. So you really, seeing him in practice was some, somewhat of the yeah. big deliver of that. Wow, that's interesting. And I also love dentistry, right? So sure. I, didn't, I didn't come home. I mean, I didn't come home and say, I don't want to talk about the office. Oh, I hate it. I came home and, and you fired up. Oh, dude, I, I was all, I was in it to win it. I mean, you know, just I, like his brain is now. It's, just, yeah. it, it's 24 hours a day he's thinking. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking sure. work, you know, right. dentistry is my work. So that's what I think. Right. I think, I think the next step constantly. Okay. Okay. So then, then you go to dental school. Right. And then let's, let's fast forward a little bit. To you lived with school. me. Oh, you did during dental school? Yeah. So my second and third year of dental school, T-Bone lived in Durham. I was in Chapel Hill at UNC. Okay. So I lived with them for those Which was years. great, which was a phenomenal, which was phenomenal wow, for me yeah. because I felt like I was then growing up with my brother because, you know, he was in 10th grade well, the, when the I came back. The years became way shorter. Yeah, way well, we, as, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. The difference in, you know, a 24-year-old kid and a 30-year-old kid. Is a lot smarter. Is much difference yeah. than an 18-year-old kid and a 10-year-old kid. Very right? much so. Very so, much so. Um, so for me, it was awesome to have him living with us, uh, to be able to see him, and to be able to, you know, with, for me to see him go through dental school and to be able to kind of push back, like, this, this that they're telling you is not realistic or... That kind of stuff. Right. And, and that was probably the vast majority of the conversations when I was in dental school. Yeah, he was argumentative. I, I was argumentative, and I would come home and say, listen, my pros guy said this is the way it has to be done. You have to have this type of oh, oh, and compo- <laughs> Composites are bad in the back. you got to do them out. Like, like at, some, at some point, what would happen is, is this, I remember this vividly, okay? He'd come to the office to observe while he's in dental school, and while I'm working on the patient, he goes, yeah, that wouldn't work in dental school. They would tell us we would fail if we did that. <laughs> Why, while well, working on the patient. patients aren't sedated. Yeah. Listen, I didn't clinical experience at that point so i didn't know what he, he didn't talk to a patient <laughs> he would just say, like on the type of that that would not work oh no that's not gonna work <laughs> patient's like what is this guy but it, it was a lot of fun but it, luckily it wasn't too centered on dentistry but it was a lot of these like question marks you, i'd see this side of dentistry that was changing sarac there's a lot of ceramic work uh you know the pr- moving away from amalgam and in dentistry in dental school you're still kind of there's no concept of cad cam Right. Even though it's right. a known entity. And it's there. And it's there. Well, but at that time, we're talking in 03, 04, 05. Yeah, but we're it was talking, there. You're, but yeah, but you're, you're very progressive amongst yeah, private right. practice people, yeah. let alone dental right. schools. So, I mean, gosh. And that I learned as well, that what he was doing is probably cut pushing pushing the boundary a little bit. Sure. Um, but you, that was a lot of the conversations. It was very much on not super technical stuff. It was just like, hey, this is what, what about this? I was like, I remember one time I was like, so what do you think about this nano filled composite? <laughs> and then, you know, and, and, so that was a conversation. I was like, well, we're using this old stuff still, but you, you use yeah. spherical or non spherical. <laughs> do you even know what that is? Sully? <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, the next step was uh, my first, uh, he's disappointed me twice in my life. Okay. Uh, the first disappointment to me was after he graduated, uh, he wanted to go to oral surgery school and I was looking for him to join, join in. you. And, uh, I mean, at that point, I mean, even today I would give him 50%. Like I would never, I could never, ever take money from him, uh, to join in the practice. Um, so I was, I was hoping for that, but at the same time, also proud, uh, that unlike me, he actually had the grades and the well, political power to get into, into oral surgery. So, residency. Then, so stop there then. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. How, what was it? Cause obviously, I mean, 
you look up to your brother at this point. Things are good. I'm telling him he should be a general dentist. Look. He's he's screaming to be a general dentist. He's trying to do oral surgery stuff as a general dentist. And then and, my parents are telling then, him to go specialize. So that's so that was some pressure well, there. I don't think it was actually. I don't think it was much. My parents. They they so my are, like he mentioned earlier. My parents encouraged further education if it meant it makes a difference. They just didn't know so, I didn't have the grades to get in. <laughs> but you're like, you're but, like, no, mom but, and dad, I, also, I choose to be a GP. They also know I choose to be a GP. He used to pass out when he saw blood. So right. let's, you know, so surgery yeah, was not yeah, in his exactly. calling early right. on. Well, um, but it was like middle of dental school. Like, you know, I always had a passion for medicine as well. Um, and so once you got further along in dentistry, I fell in love with oral surgery. I had opportunities to shadow some of his colleagues that he worked with. Um, and then spend time at the dental school. Chapel Hill at the time was a, was still a well-regarded oral surgery program. So I got to see this side of dentistry, oral surgery, that just, it was my calling. Like right. It just, it, it, that was it. Wow. Um, and I solidified it kind of working with one of his, uh, one of his friends. And I said, this is it. I'm going to do this. And I, third year dental school, January third year dental school, I said, so he comes to you and tells you this, and you're just—I was like, "Well, we'll change his mind." <laughs> we'll change his mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, because he's still a believer. I mean, like, like he does now, and encourages general dentistry to say you can do a lot of things if right? you learn how to do if it. If you learn and, and you comp education, right? So you, had, so he yeah. was telling me that as well. It was no doubt that he said, "Well, if you want to do surgery, you still can do a lot of procedures if you go get the proper training." So go do a GPR yeah. that's heavy in surgery. And my my sell to him was, you know. You don't have to deal with any of the business stuff. I'll take care of all of that. You just come and do whatever dentistry you want to do, and we'll have a good time. You know, it'll it'll be great. And uh, my my vision was that it was going to be me and my brother working, and my dad being the Walmart greeter in the front, <laughs> so <laughs> so we could have a family of happy, happiest man I alive. I can totally see that. Dude, my dad would totally <laughs> do that. He would kill it. He'd actually talk to anybody. He'd wear his gangle, yeah. wear his gangle hat and greet yes. when he walks in the office. But that didn't work. So that was my first disappointment. Your mom would bring lunch. Yeah, yeah well, one thousand percent. It would be the whole office. It would. Exactly. It would. In fact, you'd probably put a stove in the office and cook fresh every day. Like, I mean, this has cost me a lot of money. Him not going to general dentistry because now I gotta, you know, the family. Could I gotta be, hire people to do that stuff, great right? Business. And uh, so, so he went to residency, and you yeah. did that in Washington D.C. Yeah. So you know, it's a match process. So you know, you rank your programs, you go, and you ma- I match that. Fortunately, a very program that I really liked and for that four years was challenging. So why did you choose a regular four-year program versus the combined uh, D, uh, oral surgery with an MD? You know, so that's a big, it's a big dilemma that I think every uh, applicant to oral surgery goes through is trying to figure out what value does a medical degree bring. Mm, I mean, totally. as you said, education uh, mm. means a lot. So I never say and that two letters and the two letters, make, but it's make interesting. My right? dad didn't, agree, my dad didn't agree with the MD degree because he didn't think it was practical. Right. So once he understood, so the conversation is like, so he was asking me, he's like, well, what does it get me? I said, well, it gets me two letters. Does it change your ability to build? No. Does it change ability to practice? No. Does it, is it a marketing tool? I said, well, if I come back to North Carolina, no. So if I was in Southern California, yeah, because I think almost every oral surgeon in Southern California mm-hmm. is probably a medical. So it can sometimes be depend- regionally dependent. Regionally dependent based on the training programs. Um, but other than that, it's just ego. Well, I wouldn't say it's well, just ego. Well, there's some benefits no, to it. No, I mean, no, if you want to do like facial, if okay. you want to do oculoplastics, right. if you like, want to do some of that level right. of oral surgery, then certainly an MD degree okay, is helpful. So some bad, or if yeah. you want to be more medicine-based, or if you want to be you know, more based. Do in, you get uh, any uh, privileges that you don't have as a like, like hospital privilege or anything like that? In my experience, no. So from based on, you know, and I work in a hospital now, 
Um, and I, I couldn't see, imagine that changing anything that I do. Gotcha. So I think the big benefit is that for those. You wouldn't do things differently is what you're saying. Correct. Gotcha. And I think the big benefit to have the medical degree is if I wanted to do a fellowship. So cosmetics, uh, cancer, uh, craniofacial craft. That's where that you need to have that. That's that good degree, advice. Yeah. That, that degree. Yeah. So those are the two things I looked at. One was it's a financial decision because if you go to medical school, you're going to pay for it. Sure. So imagine you're already coming out of dental school with, you know, hundred thousand dollar debt. Now you go to medical school. Four hundred grand. That's people laugh at your hundred grand in debt. Well, hundred fifty in debt. Hundred fifty. I, I, I was yeah. fortunate. Chapel Hill is a great place. It's hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's funny, by the way, that I came out with no debt other than my gambling debt, and he came out with debt. It's a, it's a, it's a very very good story, um, because um, so culturally, um, if your parents your parents if they have the ability. Uh, will pay for your education in our culture at least and certainly in our family um so stay with us we'll be right back hey there podcast family t-bone here to talk about the 3d dentist digital implant continuum are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed i know that feeling i've been there let's change that together Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. How about selling dental practices or land that you uh, next door to you? It's it's a very like I don't understand your white people problems there. Okay, like, <laughs> you mean the fact that my grandma charged me one point four million for point six acres is extreme? <laughs> well, the fact that you gave her an offer above everybody else and then she told them to counter and made you counter is just uh, would be uh, can't win them all. Well, I get it, but so what happened? And and this is this is it, it, see even even then. Okay, so um. So my dad paid for my dental school. Right. Okay. He gave me an allowance of like $800 a month or $900 a month to live. I couldn't live in that because I had high tastes and I liked gambling. <laughs> so I came out with like 40, problem. 40, 50 grand in debt. And, um, wow. and then, uh, so then when Ravi went to school, I was like, I'll pay, you know, or I'll pay as much as I could at the time. I was starting to make good money then. Right. So I was happy to pay whenever, you know, whatever they asked or wanted. And it wasn't a means issue. Um, it was more that my dad gave Ravi a choice. Okay. He said, Ravi, here are the choices. I'll pay for your dental school. Okay. Or I'll take the money I was going to use for your dental school. You take out loans 
and I will buy a motel or a hotel. And then when you get out, you'll, that'll be yours. And uh, so my dad pretty much wasn't a question really. It was just do that. And that, that was the Wilson hotel. Uh, so, so at that time, that money, that $150,000, $200,000 was so important because it allowed my dad to build a hotel. Wow. And that, ho- that hotel, that one in Wilson fed the one we built in Hope Mills, which fed the one we built, we just finished in Fayetteville, which fed so much. So that, that uh, it's about cash flow, right? Sure. So in theory, and, and this, in theory, that $150,000, $200,000 is worth way more money. Way more. Four or five million. Wow. Basically. Wow. So, so now the ability to pay that back is, is insignificant, correct? Sure. And even then, you know, my, my dad said, okay, it's my duty. I'll pay for your loans. And my brother said, no, I'll pay for them. You just keep doing what you're doing. You know, so not because look, at the end of the day, and my dad always said this to me, like when I bought my house and all that stuff, he was like, you're just wasting cash flow. I'm never going to give you money. I'm never going to let you borrow anything because I know you're going to, in my mind, in his mind, I waste it. Right. Okay, he's like, that should all be put towards a business that grows. And, you know, it's a, it's a cultural difference, generational difference. Uh, but uh, I think it's a good story for people to understand um, the value of money. Well, and where you, where you put the money yeah, sometimes, I mean, the, yeah. yeah where you it's, put it. And it's growth versus savings, too, to some yeah. degree, right? Which is Absolutely. About. And that's why I talk so much about uh, you, pay your, you pay your retirement, your, your flexibility plan first, and then you live after that. So am I saying that correctly? No, hundred percent. I think uh, that was for me. It didn't make sense at the time when he when he was like forcing, not forcing. Because you're probably he, to some degree. I mean, at that age, yeah. I would imagine I would almost be like, "Come right. on, Dad." I mean, you paid for well, you paid for I didn't look at it that way. I didn't care that much, but I didn't really understand the power of what he meant by yeah, that, right? for sure. You know, it really it took me probably midway through residency to kind of make the realization that, wow, like that. That's what he means invest in yourself. So save that take that principle instead of throwing it away or spending it on education, getting a loan is not a big issue right. and getting a loan at 5% is, you know, nothing. I think is nothing. Right. So compared to a business loan. So that that's when it starts to make sense that yeah. that wager, you know, for me to take that loan out, knowing that I'm going to specialize and knowing that I'm going to be fortunate to probably have a, a decent job and be able to pay it back on my own meant so much more for him, my parents and our family. And I think the important thing to understand is, a dollar you spend, my dad views it as $6 because every mm-hmm. dollar you can borrow five against it. Okay. Because like you're going through this now, right? Yeah, they want no, 20% totally. down, right? So literally every dollar you have in hand is actually $5 from a bank. So that hundred grand or two, that $200,000 was a million dollars, right? So it's his, it's his ability to leverage up to a million dollars is really what that boiled down to. Is that just long-term versus short-term thinking? Is that what stops people? Doing that I think, time. I think, uh, I think people are willing, I think it's because people aren't willing to live with sacrifice. Okay. <clears throat> and people, uh, and, and it is so much short-sighted thinking as well, but I think now more than ever, my generation, me included, we're not willing to live with sacrifice. We're not willing to go through the pain and the trouble that it, that comes with it. Yeah. And it depends on the level of risk that you want to take. Yeah. Sure. You know, there are individuals who are super risk averse who will not take that leap. And then there are individuals who want to take on that risk. So that's also. Uh, and a, and a it's a good, it was a safe it. bet. Like what's the worst thing that happened? My dad lost that money. Let's say sure. he's going to be able to pay that back. No, totally. It's, it you know, sense. it's, it's a secured loan in a way, right? right? I mean, against his career. Right. You know, and so that, that's, that, it's just a good story. So at this point you've, you've graduated surgery school. 
you know, did you think about, hey, well, gosh, I got a brother down this here. This is second disappointment. Ah, this, here this, this is still a sore spot. Okay, this is to so, this day okay. disappointment. This is a sore spot for him and my parents. Yeah, this, uh, this was trouble for us. You know, so through residency, so four years, right? So you know, first two, like, yeah, so yeah. first two to three years, it was like coming back. You know, I'm gonna finish coming back. I was like, everybody had it planned luckiest, for you. You're right. I, exactly. <laughs> Dude, I was the luckiest person in the world. I mean, I really was. I had a brother who was doing great in the practice, who was a business mind that could help me. I saved and, my office for him. And know. this is what time are we in right now? This is 2010. Yeah, so I had bought my new building. I didn't sell my old one because right. I was gonna, because I bought it from an oral surgeon. Well, and Dental Town's been a success at this point. Yeah. The meeting, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, we're I mean, doing like, great. I mean, y'all are we're doing we're doing good. It, everything is like right. come back to Raleigh. Yeah, right. And so for me, it was like a no brainer. I mean, it, everything played in my favor. I had a lot of my classmates were practicing in this area, so I didn't. I I'd be fortunate to have a, a decent referral base of people that I know and like. I had a brother who's successful and doing well. My best friend's and, an oral surgeon. And then a good friend of ours is an oral surgeon. Mm. So. A no-brainer person would say, "You're an idiot. Just this is get done and get back." Um, but, and 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 he would have made he would have done financially much better. But when you go through, when you go through the amount of training that I went through, I hate to say that there's a lot of private practice oral surgery that probably uses twenty five percent of what you train. Yeah, I get that. Right? I see that. And so to to enjoy all of that and then to give it all up was I. I just couldn't do it. I loved what I did. I mean, it was you love the trauma part of it. Oh, I love the, the trauma. I love the major surgery. I like to be in the operating room. I like to be in the residency program where I had, you know, col- I had a bunch of smart people, in, you know, versus just lowly general dentists. <laughs> well, it's not no, that. No, but I would. But, no, but I but think that's pri- a great office point. setting. The office yeah. setting. Think about it. If if you're by yourself in an office, there's not stimulation sometimes, right? We preach that all 12, the time. I, I have 12 residents. Uh, not in our friend's stimulate. office, Will Jones. There's stimulation there's, there. There's plenty of stuff there. But, <laughs> but when, aside from that, the reality is, though, is that we, that's what we preach all the time. I mean, most general dentists and even, even specialists tend to live on an island right. where they don't have that kind of pursuit of uh, education, that, that challenge, that, hey, what do you think about this? What would you do here? And like, yeah. you know, that collaborative so have, approach. Yeah, you know, we have three surgeons at 12 residents. I have a, a bunch of part time private oral surgeons who come and operate and teach at the hospital. And so we're constantly talking, constantly bouncing ideas off each other. And it, I have to stay on my toes. So I'm invigorated to stay on top of my game because I'm constantly motivated. You know, you guys have, you're fortunate you have a group of people that you get to talk to all the time. Sure. But we have most to create people, that, by the right, way. Right, you created that. But, you know, most people in their in an office setting, like dentistry is an office-based practice, you don't necessarily have that. You don't have the camaraderie. So that's where between the scope of practice and the people that I got to work with. And, and, and to be honest, my chair and program director at the time was just an, a phenomenal individual. Right. And so he helped me kind of foster that interest. Um, when I said I'm interested in staying, but I'd probably only want to stay in DC or come back to North Carolina. Those are my two options. I didn't really look hard at wanting to do this hospital based program anywhere else sure. because there's so many other factors. in Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here, bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all annex fixed hybrids, Mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. 
It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course. It's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. So he was basically like, we'll, I'll make, we'll take you here. He's like, I'll make this work. I'll add you. At the time, he didn't. It wasn't a position. He said, we'll make this work. Wow. So, so it's two-part. Okay? The, and, and, and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful because I'm unbelievably proud of my brother. Okay? One, he didn't come home, which bothered me. And then two, he went to work for the hospital. Like, fam- familiarly, like, there is no one in my family that works for anyone. Right. Like, not one yeah, person. counterintuitive. Like, not like one. The cultural like, I, think I go through right. my entire family. Not one person works for anybody. Not one. From my uncles, to my dad, to my mom, to my wow. aunt. To, and so what every, was your dad's nobody. response? Very similar to his. I mean, yeah. Uh, but he's much, he's much quieter. He's much, he's much more diplomatic. I mean, he, he he understood where I was coming from, but at the same time, he's he's like, you're not gonna, you can, can't you just listen to him and say, follow your dreams, you can make anything happen. And I was like, well, I don't think it works that way, you know. And, and what I'm trying to do, I don't think it works. That like way. I couldn't accept, I couldn't honestly, I probably don't accept that he works for the hospital more than he stayed in D.C. Like I would, like I look, hey, I want to stay in D.C. It's kind of a fun city, right? Uh, but working for somebody, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's funny because even now to this day, I have a dentistry mindset where I'm like, this is a small business, and but I'm, I'm in my own department and I think it's a small business. And then it gets shut down so quickly because then you realize I work for a big corporation. Right. So like literally like trying to do it, like trying to do a brochure. Like he can, like the problems he brings to me, I'm like, this is this is easy. Just just put some money into it and make it happen. He's like, no, no, no. It has to go through uh, protocol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has right. to go to so, HR and marketing. So and there's this. challenges like that, right? So everybody has their challenges. Mine are just very different. But the positive is, is he has a stable job. Okay, he has benefits. Uh, he doesn't have to physically work as hard. You know, he has. He's surrounded by people. And there's a level of, of progression that he can make, right? So he can start right. as he can start as an attending, which you did, I believe, correct? Right. Then he moved to program chair, program okay, director, program yeah. director, and then the next step would be chair, right? The chair of the department. So how much how much interaction do you have with residents on a daily basis? Every day. So but he's in charge of the but, residents. But this is what's so cool to me because it's interesting because in one you know one dynamic you're both so different, but on one you look at you T and like you've created this entire culture and business around a desire to bring up people around you yeah. and push your profession. And then you have your other brother who on one hand took a different route, but he is completely doing the exact same thing and bringing up his profession. It's, it's very and, similar. And yeah, but he's got to call cool. the shots. I mean, I called my shots. Hootie's <laughs> got a question. What up? 
Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Well, the question is, the question is, who is asking him is basically is both of them have this desire to apparently bring up those around them and, and, and teach in some capacity. I mean, you're doing that every day with residents. You're doing that every day with me, Will, the rest of the attendees, everybody. What, in, what do you think instilled that drive in you or desiring to do that? Well, look, I, I talk so much about my dad. Okay, yeah. And so my answer is going to be, be around him. But I also have to give a lot of credit to my mom who took a job making $17,000 a year as a teacher, drove for two years, drove 45 miles each way every single day to get a teaching certificate to do something, quite frankly, she didn't have to do. I mean, we didn't, there was a time where we needed the money. Okay. There was a time where that was, that was there, but pretty quickly we didn't need the money. And on top of that, I look back and she taught autistic children. Okay, so it's like, she, you know, listen to be politically correct. She taught mentally and physically handicapped kids. All right. You know, I, a, I got yelled at a lot. I need to be proper. I appreciate that. It's nice to have someone that's politically correct was around very, here. Very passionate about her job, right? Some agarwal needs to do that, yeah, right? Thank goodness. And I'm so, the diplomat. Yeah, so clearly. they certainly, you know, and I never thought about it that way until you kind of mentioned it, Kutan, uh, was that that certainly was an influence, okay? But... I will say to me, my biggest influence on the teaching was, again, my dad. And it's not that he was a teacher, but he was. He always told, you know, so when you're in the motel business and you start getting beyond one or two, or you reach a level where you're no longer like managed, you're not owner operator anymore. You're not like like literally living in the motel like we used to do. Uh, you bring in the next family in. Sure. Okay. And they take over your spot. Replace yourself. I was going to say, is that where that concept That's exactly where it came started? from. And then my dad, what he would always do is he would help that family and he would tell them, I need you here for three years. Not, he didn't say, I need you here forever. He'd be like, listen, I want you to be here three years. I need you to save this much money. And then when you're ready, I'll go help you pick out your own place so that you can have your own, your own, your own you place. You know, what's interesting is like, that's also like the model of just true apprenticeship and well, how like it's also the immigrant mentality. Right. But ultimately that's what, that's what built our country was built on the immigrant mentality. Right. And then we lose it. Right. Which okay. is something it's killing us everywhere, it. right? Well, I mean, that's a different argument, you know. But um, so I, I saw that constantly. I constantly saw him. And I constantly saw the other thing I saw was we lived in a town of probably 8,000 people max. Yeah, I think a county of maybe 40,000 people. 40,000 in the county, county. 8,000 yeah. in the city we lived in. And there were eight motels in our city. We had a racetrack. We had a NASCAR racetrack there. Um, eight motels eight of which were owned by Indians. So we were all pretty competitive in the sense that there's only so much business to go around, but it wasn't competitive. We, would, we could call somebody and they could say, hey, we, got, we have sold this many rooms. We have this many left. This is the price we're charging. So that, you know, that way everybody knew. So it was very collegial in a way. So I saw that. I saw people helping each other. I saw your competitors helping each other. I, I saw all, That's what I saw growing up. That's how I saw that. You, you, you didn't learn from a scarcity mindset. No, I mean, certainly there was a competitiveness, certainly, right? And people always want to take care of themselves first to a certain degree, but it was a family atmosphere, okay? And it was a help everybody atmosphere. And more so on my dad's side, what I saw was, hey, I want to get you started and then let's go somewhere. And if you can't afford it on your own and you've proved to me in three years, I'll own 51% of it 
and then you can buy me out over after time right so and um so so that's that's kind of part of where that mindset of helping others trying to lift them up and trying to get them to go somewhere else and certainly maybe I'll benefit along the way and it's kind of like I've always told you sure. take what you can and at some point you know step on your own feet you know yeah. and uh so that's been a, you know it's a true community i mean it, it, it's hard to explain to a lot of people that rockingham uh the you know indian population in rockingham vast majority at least in the 80s and early 90s there's probably 10 families but it was a true all community and va- almost all of them 80 90% percent of them and hotel. it was a true there was community. no hotel <laughs> <laughs> it was honest. a true community just to be clear you know so i i was fortunate because a lot of them a lot of the families had we were all the same age not T-Bone, for me yeah t-bone yeah. was kind of the old like he was the old guy that there's one other two one, other two Indians. other people yeah you know i had four or five people and we were all great friends our families were friends you know even though your business is right literally right beside each other wow. friday yeah. nights you're all getting together to eat dinner together you know eating together you're you're forming partnerships, you form friends, you're doing business together. So it was such an interesting dynamic that I don't see replicated in a lot of other areas. Well, you don't replicate that in a big city for sure. Do y'all keep up with any of those people? A little bit, certainly. Robbie's more much, uh, when it comes to personality wise, he is way more social and way more friendly than I am. Like I'm a, I'm a hobbit or hermit or whatever the word is. I like to keep to myself. Okay. I like to have the level of interaction that I want to have. Is that more your mom or your dad? That's probably more my mom. Yeah. I'm my mom. Socially, I'm my mom. 100%. Okay? And socially, he's my dad. I have my dad. Yeah, he likes to cook. He likes to clean-ish. Okay? He likes to do those things, uh, things that you'll never catch me doing. Ever. Yeah. So it's funny. I, we have a hybrid of both our parents. It's so sure. inter- it's, it's fascinating to me. I have my mom's kind of household sense. Right. You know, and I have my dad's social skill. <laughs> he has my dad's brain and business sense and my mom's social side. Interesting. And it's just, it's, it's funny natural. how it works out. It's so funny how it works out. Wow. So, okay. So now let's then, let's kind of jump a little bit. So the, now we're just timeline where we're at is that we're finished residency. He's become program director, director. is what you call He's working so in DC. He's charge of the residence. And at this point, uh, it's kind of finally hit me, even though I, every time I go, sometimes I'll go meet uh, Dr. Obed, correct? I'll go meet him. I'm like, yeah, I, I think this is a horrible place. You should fire Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is not who you need. <laughs> I'm like, you should get rid of him. The Send him south. Can we start, like at one point, can we start bringing like, your brother around? Yeah. He's bad for the program. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like can you? My, and then more, He's I, telling I, the I, residents that the guy teaching them is terrible. I remember you one time my, another program. my dad probably told Dr. Obed, I think you should fire him. You should let my son go. <laughs> so, wow. And he, he just chuckled and just moved on. So... Now, as you, as you, we move into like you practicing and like that dynamic, now let's start to get clinical a little bit. You know, now here you are, oral surgeon, you're pushing things and doing things in your setting. And then, you know, your brothers down South as a GP starting to push, you know, he got up his fear of blood and started, got, started yeah, to do some started surgery. Push surgery and then become somewhat of the, one of the advocates for GPs doing surgery. How does that conversation go when T Bone calls you? <laughs> this was this was a lot of entertaining yeah. uh, car rides. Yeah, or Mona, my, Mona, my wife uh, would always be like, like "You got to call and, and make up with your brother." I'm like, "What do you mean make up? We're just having a conversation." Though no, you guys are arguing, we're, we're arguing, <laughs> and my and like, you're yeah. And by the way, your wife can tell. She's I'm pretty sure she knows when someone's arguing and when they're not. Or we're, we're saying we're, we're on a family trip. We're in the minivan. This, his family, me, my parents, and him and I are in the front seat. And we started getting into a dentistry talk. 
you can tell everybody else is just getting upset and pissed off. And then we start, it's escalating, right? The voices are rising, we're yelling, and we're both very passionate. And it's very much the, the initial arguments were, you know, you arrogant oral surgeons, you're always doing shit wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> you're, you're not you, using guides. You're you know, putting the implants in the right. wrong spots. You know, the implants are coming out way in the wrong direction. I'm like, well, you guys don't know what you're doing. You're not reading anything. You don't know any science. You don't think about the bone. You don't think about the soft tissue. You're just putting in a screw. Right. And so, and then, and, my, and then my mom was like, please, you guys are arguing. Please stop. Like, and she's like, make, apologize to each other. And we just stopped talking to each other for like a good 10 minutes, you know, in the car ride. And then, it, then dentistry probably wouldn't talk that much more over the weekend. Um, so, okay, besides that, though, how did that conversation go? Like, I, I seriously am curious, like, the perspective of how did y'all work through that then? Because on one hand, but, your brother's right in that, like, <laughs> <laughs> GPs for life. Uh, as that. And then as the whole room laughs at me right uh, now. GPs <laughs> should be starting to play some implants. But yeah, but but on, on, on some app, you've gone four years to do this training and to do all this stuff. What's your, in other words, what's your take on what course. we're doing? I, so my personal there's a balance, opinion, right? You know, it's somewhere in the middle. It's, Let me be clear I, I never that. did. Not, I never. It's. I'm not one that says that you shouldn't do something, right? I'm the one that says if you do something, you need to know how to manage. Totally agree. To it, right? And so that was the hard part because I spent a lot, I'm a science guy. My, my, my brain works on a science level. He's a boring academic. Right. AKA literature. Right. Yeah. Right. We're so, excited. Not, not like ridiculous way off the deep end of literature, but you're kind of thinking about it from that perspective. And the conversations we have were very much not that. So it was hard for me to tell, kind of explain, say, cause you would back things up with, Right. Something. And then he would be like, well, well it just works. works. Yeah. It just works. Well, I don't have a problem. I've never <laughs> had a failure. Right. Yeah. I'm placing them. I've not had an implant fail. I'm like, okay. Well, no, I, I never, I've no, never no, no, said no, 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 that no. I don't have <laughs> anything. <laughs> that's kind of like what the thought process is. It's like right. clinically, this is, this is working. It's acceptable, right? Clinically acceptable. Versus, I can't help it. You're seeing bad dentists do this stuff. And well, that's what this you get is to also see. a challenge, right? That you get, you get, uh, as a, as a specialist, certainly as a hospital based, as a hospital based specialist, you're kind of a dumping ground. For anything in dentistry, well, even, even from the oral surgeons, even for, or sometimes oral yeah, everybody, surgeons, right? Everybody just dumps, and you kind of look and you scratch your head and say, "What were they you, thinking?" Yeah, you kind of want to pick up the phone and and say, "What is going on here? What led you? What were you not thinking?" <laughs> right. So that was, but it was never about don't do this or not do this. It was more like I think probably more he was leaning on me to see what we're doing, and I'm leaning on him to see how do I communicate better? How do I? What's happening in the in the community? so that I'm better prepared to train, to deal. You know, a lot of my practice is referral-based as well. Sure. So I'm kind of trying to figure out how to negotiate those things. I think the big disconnect between general dentists and specialists is the technology and how much yeah. the technology undoes so much of the hand skill. Okay, technology doesn't change the science. It doesn't change a lot of that stuff. But it does change the surgery. It's the great equalizer. It, it is. You know, that's you copied that from me. So I'm pretty sure I took that. <laughs> you, yeah, from oh, me. Oh, you took that from me. Dang it. <laughs> Walk into that one. So Well, here's my question then. So because that was that was kind of where I was going was did do you find that that almost some of the conversations you would have would because I'm assuming that from a residency mindset, it's very traditional thinking mm, in the way that you practice and do it. And then here he comes out trying to be super progressive and then like there's this dichotomy of like well gosh that that does sound unique but that's different and i don't know if i 
I never felt, I personally never felt that way because I think our residency program was always also on the cutting edge. Okay. Know? Maybe not on, on like, you know, we, I, we knew about, by the way, it was on the cutting getting, edge, not because of other oral surgeons, but because you had a prosthodontist, I have a prosthodontist that was very digitally right. oriented, very digitally, okay. very pushing the border, pushing the frontier on what we do. And so I didn't, we didn't actually have that much of a dichotomy in what he's thinking and doing and, and what we're doing. It's just, you know, as a surgeons and in a residency program, I'm maybe a few years behind on, you know, I got a digital scanner, what, three years ago now. I've been doing a three few years, years, you know, yeah. when I got one, when you got one, right. but at the same <laughs> time, we later. weren't, we don't do a restorative work. Either. Right. So yeah, yeah. You didn't see the value until that the paradigm starts changing. And then we try to stay on the front edge. of it. Yeah. So, so in Ravi's defense though. Okay. So what I've seen, and I, I would hope that uh, we played, I played some role in that is that his, his residency is doing digital impressions. His residency is doing digital planning. They're teaching the residents how to do 3D planning. They're teaching the residents how to do 3D modeling for orthognathic surgeries. They're teaching printing. They're teaching all of these things to the surgeons because what they're starting to see is that it's going to become part of practice moving forward. Right. And so so they're one of the few residencies, I believe, maybe not as much anymore. Yeah, you know, we like to think so. We, we have, I have no way of knowing right. sometimes. Right. That when, you, when you look at what you're doing, to me – you almost want to call it honorable, but how do you, how do I don't, you, that's not what I think of it. Well, as, but, but, yeah. but, but, but my, my point is, is like when you look at you, what you're doing and I know what your reimbursements are and some of that stuff, what is the drive to stay in a hospital setting when, when you know there's oral surgeons out there in private practice, quadrupling you know, what you mean, quadrupling right. what you're doing. No, it, it really economically, just, economically, you yeah. wouldn't call it honorable. I would call that silly, but I like to think of it as honorable. Well, I think the give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, for me, it's it, it. There's a simple fact. It's my scope of practice is I get to practice the full scope of what you couldn't do what you do now in private practice. I could practice not do what because you'd be doing, doing it for free. You'd be doing it for free, or you're going to be your the mindset is if you're a small business owner, these things lose money because yeah, that's what I'm you're doing it for free. Right. So you're doing it for free. So there are a lot of people who do. Is that a problem? Like like long term, just getting outside of what we're talking about. Do you think that's an issue? Like, are we, is that going to become like to bite us? This is a tough. This is it's such an interesting thing because it's a dilemma in the field. You know, uh, so let let me answer the question this way. For example, in Europe, uh, hospital based OMS is a separate track than office based OMS. The residency programs. The residency programs. Oh, so, interesting. So to do hospital work, your maxillofacial surgery, and to do hospital work, I mean, to do office kind of dental. You're an exodontist, basically. Exodontia. Well, arguably, yeah, why are you doing a four-year residency surgery. to take out wisdom teeth and put in implants? Right. So that Because a general dentist can do it in a weekend. Exactly. <laughs> Proof <laughs> of concept. That's not even a weekend. That's just YouTube. Sorry. No, it's quite fine. I don't have a good answer. I, it's hard to know because... I think personally, I think practice is a pendulum. So things start to shift one way and then mm, something happens in point. politically, uh, something happens in, in healthcare, and then things will start to shift back. That's a good point. So I think it's just constantly, we're just seeing this shift. Like, you know, the, the dentistry in the 90s was like the heyday, right? Everybody's doing quite well, at least in surgery, especially. I think we're in the heyday now, but that's you know, But I, I think oral surgery, you're going to start, you're starting to see this shift where everybody's corporate is taking over dentistry. You're seeing changes in, in practice. You're seeing people who are not reimbursements are lower. So you're seeing people have to do more. More are taken 
insurance. More like when insurance. I moved here in 99, 2000, 2001, when I started my practice in 2001, um, I couldn't find it other than a few. Like you had the oral surgeons that you knew took insurance. So you had the insurance oral surgeons and then you had the non-insurance. Now surgeons. I'm assuming they all take it. Now we, for the most part, they all everybody. take it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're seeing the you're seeing the shifts. Things that affected us ten years ago are affecting them now. They affects them eight to ten years. Specialists get affected eight to ten years later. Orthodontists are seeing that on the direct to consumer side. Okay, we're not seeing direct to consumer exodontia. Okay, but we're seeing direct to consumer orthodontics. So let's talk about that because obviously I'm assuming that when you go to these oral surgeon meetings and you're having conversations, they're very stuffy. Be, well, so you know. well, I'm sure they are. Because I actually it, spoke at one. But, but you, but you got to figure there's got to be this moment where, as an oral surgeon, you're looking at this and saying, "Okay, wait a second, GPs, periodontists, you know, endodontists, endodontists, yeah, they're yeah. they're they're taking a giant sector of what we were really trained to do." What is the move for oral surgery as a whole? To, not just like compete against that, but just to, to adjust. Yeah, to adjust. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I don't know if that our national association is, they're targeting that, but at the same time, it's not that well talked about enough uh, to say w there's a game plan. I think. It's interesting. You know, I think the, the oral surgery side of things, we're thinking probably full arch, you know, bigger, those bigger cases, those larger cases, especially the need for anesthesia, that's still going to kind of be in the wheelhouse. We're doing more and more of those now. You're doing more and more of now, but the, you have a sick patient, you have, you know, I think you are, but I think the vast majority of practitioners are not. Um, I don't know, though. To, see, to, so my thing, to answer the question, vast majority are not. No, totally. But, but a bigger and bigger number but, are doing it. We talked about this a little bit off air. You know, I have a good buddy who's an oral surgeon of mine. Um, he actually is my anesthesiologist, as I call him, because whenever I'm doing full arch industry, I bring him in to do, because I can't do propofol. So right. he comes in and does that. Sure. But what we joke about- And based about, on the sedation, IV sedation class you took, you can't do yeah, IV sedation. Yeah, <laughs> based on the fact that I took an IV sedation class that wasn't approved, I currently can't IV sedate and people. They, so, uh, they, um, uh, but uh, false advertising said it was approved. Well, I can't say anything right now because yeah, I'm in a, yeah, I a settlement. I just wanted to say that. But, <laughs> but uh, but, but anywho, um, what we discuss is it's interesting. Here I am, a GP, a couple years out of school, doing way more full arch dentistry than a oral surgery MD who's been 10 years out of school because so much of that market is moving from to a direct-to-consumer market. Well, I, I would ask the question then, is that individual actually trained and thoughtful about implant dentistry? You're talking about the oral surgeon? The oral surgeon. Yeah. I, I think, personally, I think there's... Just because you're an oral surgeon doesn't qualify you to do implants. To put in a bunch of implants. Because you, yeah. you go well, to a training program. There's a training program that plays 10 to 15 implants. Oh, there's, there's, if you're an oral surgeon that's been out 20 years, you might not have placed well, many ever. at all. Yeah. Or the way you did them was blades yeah. Or, yeah. or not. Well, so, but I think what I think. My point, I, though. I, go to, I think the thing that Ruby's missing, and most oral surgeons are missing, is those cases aren't direct to consumer. Those cases come from the GP. Exactly. Right. And the GP is We're a referral to, business. We're right. controlling where things no, are going. But I would even argue those those patients aren't walking in our door. Yeah. Those we're, marketing we're getting those cases because we're marketing. And so this right. is and this we're is marketing the fact that we're our, one place to get it done. Right. And that to me is a challenge because I don't think or traditional or surgeries is built off a total referral model. Hundred percent. And and but it's and, changing. And, and and it is changing. And it has to because most Again, most GPs that are marketing to it, they're marketing it from a we do it all perspective. Mm -hmm. You, myself, Will, et cetera. Whereas no GP is is spending the money to market to bring them in and say, Oh yeah, well, I can do the restorative portion. Let me send you the oral surgery. Well, the surgery you know, portion. This this is a fear for me, mm -hmm. is that I I'm training I'm training individuals who are gonna go out and then just work at a GP office. 
you know, they're going to work at five GP offices. One day a week, they're at a GP office. Why is that a negative? Uh, because you train to do all these things that you can't practice if you're just going to be an a, implant and wisdom yeah. tooth doctor. Right. That's, but that's only th- By the way, that's what most oral surgeons are now. Okay. By most oral surgeons in private practice are take out teeth, take out wisdom teeth, place implants. Then what's the point of going to a four-year residency? I, I mean, it's, it's a, the profession's going to, the profession's going to have to answer that question. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know when, if it's going to change, when it's going to change, or if that pendulum's going to swing back. And then maybe go to the European model. It may, or the, what's going to happen is that the, the we're going to screw things up so the, badly. <laughs> no, the practice dynamics will change where you're going to see a shift back of all surgeons having to do more of what they train to do uh, to, to be successful. Look, right? I, at the end of the day, I think, one, it's it's a shame that your reimbursements are what they are for some of the stuff that you have to do, because it is unbelievably challenging and cool. Some of the stuff that you're able to do that we can't do, especially as we and they're subsidized about, by the hospital, basically. Right, and then that's unfortunate because you have this corporate entity making all this money and pulling all this stuff in, and here you are doing the work and you're getting paid some stupid reimbursement. Yeah, but they spend the money to build the place. To attract the patients. But still, at some point, the the problem is it's not sustainable. Like long term, something's Mm going to have to happen or you're going to have no one willing to do the surgeries. I'll make an argument and and I can't speak for everybody, but there's, it's not like you struggle in academia to have a good life or to do what you want to do, right? So if if you chose the profession to say, I want to make buku money, then you're not going to be in my setting. But if you want, I'm not, but I'm not going to say that I'm struggling either by no means. We're, you live a comfortable. I live in DC. Right. It's one of the most expensive cities in the country. It's not like, you know, he makes. You can, good you can afford the Uber. Good. Right. You can afford to. You can afford to do all the things you good want. Good for to. you. Am I going to own a private plane? No. Am I going to? Own a, own I was a boat? shocked when no. he got paid in the hospitals in the academics. Right. Thing, so. so, but we work hard for it. So, there's a, is it just a different dynamic and headaches? Well, it's probably more rewarding in some levels too. Hundred percent. You know, it's reward. You know, I, I love. Put it this, this way. is I where we. This I is do. where we get the parents are different. This is the business in mind, and well, the one you know, he, he, difference. You know, he just doesn't see. He knows what we do, but just like he gets to practice a full scope of general dentistry, I get to full, practice Listen. a full scope. My, you know, my answer is very simple. Come to private practice, work two days a week. You'll make the same money, and then go do your free stuff that but, you want to do but, the other two days. But a you week. know what? I bet at some some level, I think what's cool about this is probably just like your ego is is driven in some way part of it for probably Ruby is that the fact that like he does some stuff that no one else can do or, that, does, or, or, or actively does or and puts him in a position cool. to do and yeah. so for him to be able to sit there and say you know like, like that on some point i would get that like that would drive me yeah, but that, you're a millennial like, that's that, like i'm like gosh this is like this is well, cool you know it's, well he's it's, he's not like no offense oldie but he's eight years younger than you. So. Right, so, but he's 83. He's the first year millennial. Exactly. Correct? He's probably he's so listen, I, I don't 83. categorize my millennial. I'm a zenial. Dude, okay. we would love to. We would love just just for the record. We no, would love I, to no, take you on as a millennial. It's, it's a it, listen. This is the argument that we have every day. This is a, this is a conversation that every person in training has. What do I do? How do I make my career? Uh, you know, I, I just had this conversation with with my group uh, last week. They said, "Can you talk to me about?" kind of what career path can we have? And I said, the way I started the conversation is something that T-Bone's actually pushed onto me. He said, you're in America. You can do what you want. You just have to know how to do it and where to do it. And, and be you, willing to work. And be, in, and be willing to make it happen. So someone's like, oh, I want to do this and this. I said, you can. You're not going to do this in D.C. because that's not the market for you. You have to sacrifice something to get You're that. going to have yeah. to sacrifice yeah. something to move to, to Wisconsin. <laughs> right. Or, or go to North Dakota. Like we, I was talking to somebody earlier in, in you can do everything you want to do. No one's going to no. You're not going to have the barriers. 
So that was the interesting part of it is just trying to empower them to say, don't fall in the trap of, you know, corporate's going to come and, and show and show you a big number to, to work for them. Um, but just remember that that practice can be very monotonous. I mean, I have a lot of colleagues that are in, in corporate and they're bored because yeah. all they do is exodontia. They drive around the state and just do exodontia. And it's not very that, stimulating. That's their own choice. That. They, they no, made 100%. Choice. They, they made their choice. But a lot it's of them. It's not right or wrong. It's I'm not saying. right or wrong. It's just say that that's one way of doing it. I just hate to see four years of my time and education and the hard work that, you know, Shoot, 80, right. 90, 100 hours a week. Yeah, I can go to in. the Dominican for a week and learn how to that's do it. That's right. How easy is it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that is downplaying what they're doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, he's going to push, he wants to push every button to see if he can get some emotion. Know, he's trying. I'm, I'm, he's trying, trying. I'm just needling. I'm okay. Just needling. Well, here's where I think, I think a fun place to, uh, to kind of wrap up. And no, I don't want to wrap up. I want to talk about his sleep stuff. That's why. I, did you hear what I said, Rabbi? As, as we I knew moved where forward and going, going wrapping up, I literally said that. But he has to butt in. What I want to do is talk about where sleep I mean, is. the T Bone Speaks podcast. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> I just want to drop right in. Now. If y'all haven't checked out the Millennial Dentist podcast, it is a great podcast. Uh, check it out on iTunes, millennialdentist.com, drsullysullivan.com. Check it out. You know what? I, I knew I love Sully. Okay. You know when I knew I, I loved know exactly him. what okay. you're gonna say. I invited Which is him because I didn't think anything of it. I invited him to attend a mastermind that I was doing. Okay, and he during shows, one of your courses. So we had a course that we did at the Sheraton Hotel at RTP. Okay, we had like eighty or ninety people there, and I invited Sully to come. Aaron was teaching that, and I would hold a mastermind on the side. So I invited Sully to attend this mastermind with a few other people. And he just shows up and he puts up a sign marketing his his stuff in my meeting. And and this I and is, I, this is totally you. Right. It's totally, it's totally I had like one of those pop-up posters, you know, where you pull it, whoop, and then here it is. So I was like, it's you're right. I'm like, God, that's something I would do. And I'm like, hey, where can I put this thing? Is this good? And right I said, yeah, the front? put it outside. Out the front door. Please. Yeah, please over there. Uh, but, okay, but so, all right. So let's, let's kind of move towards, um, probably something that fits into what we're doing. Some mm -hmm. very much what our audience, some of what our audience is doing. And, and that is the role of, okay. So traditionally I thought of as oral, I thought of oral surgeons as competitors to us in the sleep world, because many of them were in network with insurance because they have the degree, uh, and other things they were doing. And many of them actually were making devices, mm -hmm. oral appliances. Sure. Okay. So I've always had a very adversarial thought process to oral surgeons and sleep, sleep apnea therapy, uh, until I read your blog. Not that you told me about it, but until I read your <laughs> Wait, what's blog. What's your blog? Yeah, the hospital, the hospital put, put out a blog about just a, almost like a patient blog about corrective jaw surgery and its relation to oh, sleep. Oh, nice. Yeah, so to, I saw it on we'll Facebook. We'll link that. We'll link that. Yeah, so I saw it on Facebook, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me about this? So I'll <laughs> let you take it from here, Sully. So tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into sleep. Was it? You know, obviously, T-Bone started doing a lot of this. Did that drive any factor in it? Were you doing this no. early in residency? Talk no, about yeah. that. In residency, uh, when I was in residency, one of the surgeons who, who was working with us was, a, was interested in, in obstructive sleep apnea. And he actually was doing a joint clinic, of him as an oral maxillofacial and an ENT, and they would, have, they would see patients together to treatment plan to make decisions about, you know, what we've, the way our practice has been built is we would do heart tissue work, and the ENT would do the soft tissue work. So a U triple P, uh, you know, tongue base reduction sure. or hyoid suspension, things like that. And we would concentrate on bringing mandibles forward, bringing chins forward, 
And so I had a lot of training on that. And we actually were doing devices at the time um, as well to, to supplement that sleep practice. Uh, but it was a natural progression because one of my big passions has been corrective jaw surgery. So correcting malocclusions. Or traditional uh, orthodontics. Or traditional orthodontics. And we know that those same procedures if, can have effect on the airway. It's just natural anatomy that if I bring a mandible forward, all the musculature around the airway comes forward and that could help uh, change the shape of someone's airway and help eliminate obstruction. Uh, so for me, that kind of... Uh, once I started working, that kind of just came a, a, a bit of the practice that I could grow into uh, just because our center is already so strong at orthodontic surgery. And, and, and a side note is uh, I, I'm always going to come to the business lesson in it, right? The business lesson is it's another way to differentiate, right? right. Totally. So, 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 to even, so, so even in the setting, as oral surgeons, they're fighting with other oral surgeons. Even in a hospital setting, he's fighting with other oral surgeons, right? So the more things you can do that, that kind of differentiate you from others – you know, that's part of part of the focus on, on doing this is, yes, he has a passion for it, all that stuff. But it's also it's, it's like a, yeah, fundamentally, it's, it's like, OK, this is one way to make me stand out. This is a segmentation of jaw surgery that I can kind of grow in and market and build. upon. Because yeah. my for example, my partner is not doing those things. My right. boss is not. He was interested in corrective jaw surgery, but he said, you concentrate on the sleep. then if that's what you're interested in, he said, 100 percent. So my guess is, and T-Bone, tell me what you think on this, that traditionally the majority of us as GPs or even when you get into the orthotic realm, it's always the goal of like, how can I avoid surgery? How can I avoid well, surgery? I don't know if that's our goal or we're thinking for the patients. That's my point though. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm saying I think we're driving that narrative. Mm -hmm. And when I start talking to him, I'm like, gosh, are we doing a disservice to some of these younger patients? Yeah. So we don't know the pro we don't know our products. That. Right. At the end of the day, no oral surgeon has ever, other than my brother, has ever come to me and talked to me about, hey, have you considered this as an option for some of your children or some of your adolescents mm, or your yeah. teenagers? No one. It's, you're right. How about you're this? Right. None of the orthodontists have come to me and talked about that. Right. So if no well, one's educating me. Both of our defense, they're not. We don't we don't know what we don't know. Well, maybe they don't know what they don't know. I mean, you're no offense. Surgeons. Or many of them, absolutely. Sure, or, no, or I orthodontists. I mean, I'm not saying that they. I'm just saying they're 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 not doing these surgeries in private practice because they become exodontists, correct? And implantologists. So these again, more academically based procedures. Now there are certainly private practitioners that have built a practice around this. Okay, typically they're in groups mm -hmm. where may several of the partners kind of fund everything in a way, and one person does the passion, right? So I, I just think what. I don't take the blame on this because I'm unwilling to take blame on anything. But uh, if somebody came to me and presented a justifiable point of view, then 100% I'm going to educate my patients and tell them it's worth it. So talk about that then from yeah. your point of view. So, so my point of view is that obviously uh, obstructive sleep apnea is, is it's a disease. It's a problem. And it's just growing. You've seen more and more of this country is getting diagnosed more. And I think the role of, in my opinion, the role of dentistry is that you're going to screen, you're going to see, you're going to help manage, uh, especially non-surgically, right? So 100%, if I got diagnosed with sleep apnea, I'm not thinking I need to fix a surgery. I'm going to see what are my options. And obviously, you believe he doesn't actually have sleep apnea? Really? No, no you. Tested him. You. When was the last time you were tested? Never. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> no witness to apnea. <laughs> oh, bull crap. <laughs> We, got that, we have an extra teeth sleep test running around? Oh, boy. After having a beer, I'm going to go home and sleep on one of these and definitely have sleep apnea. That's exactly right. Um, so I, I'm sorry to No, it's okay. 
So it's interesting um, that I, I had this conversation with them probably six, seven, eight months ago. I said, are you discussing with in your classes about uh, what patients may benefit from surgery or what are you talking about surgical options or sending them? And he, he said, well, I send them, I may send them to an ENT. And that's when I was like, all right, so I'm failing now to figure out at some point I'm going to have to work on this to re- to have better outreach to explain to them what an oral surgeon can do. Well, cause here you are and your brother teaches courses or at least influences people who teach right. courses that yeah, I teach yeah. courses too. Yeah, you, you were there 15 minutes today. We appreciate oh, that. 45. Thank you. Get it right. Sorry. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, you know, the, the, the thing that for me, the ones that jump out is in every dent, every, everybody who practices dentistry should figure out is which patients have a skeletal deformity, right? Because if they have a skeletal deformity, there's an anatomic reason that they may have obstructive sleep apnea gotcha. outside of being too thick, being too heavy, having a big neck. But those who are class two, those who have a really small chin, those who may have, say, mid-face retrusion, or you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, they have the maxilla is a class three, and they can't breathe through their nose because their maxilla is hypoplastic. So these are the patients that jump out immediately to say, if you suspect sleep apnea, there's actually probably a functional problem with their occlusion, but there's also that benefit to to correcting it that would help their airway. And we and we as the general dentist probably need to be then potentially relaying that to the orthodontist well, because well, we're not, we're not, we don't well, have sex. I, I think, so we I think we at the end of the day, we're, well, I think you can see it visually. I think well, these are typically obvious. Wise, if it, well, it's skeletally it's, sometimes well, you can't. Well, the problem, uh, well, one of the fears I have is that is the, the amount of orthodontics being done in general dentistry now, if you're not thinking, mm, don't blame us, blame Smile Direct Club. Well, okay, okay. well being the, done the, directly the, in CVS. Know, yes. No, but, 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 that's, but even, a, even in general dentistry, he makes a good point because yeah. the problem is, it, look, we, we have to be careful when we start to get from, when we go from adult aesthetic orthodontics yeah, to sure. doing adult, you know, that's why I believe in 20 aligner or less aligner on orthodontics. On 16 year olds and 17 year olds that are it's skeletal classifications. Right. They totally right. They may have a skeletal deformity that you're not picking up on if you're not thought to think like an orthodontist or think like a totally surgeon agree. who does jaw surgery, that there's a lot of benefit to surgery both functionally, but say even, you know, cosmetically, you know, facial harmony, but also that 16 year old who's in your office that has a class two that you just camouflage. Think about what's going to happen 20 years uh, yeah. from now. Yep. They're going to gain 30, 40 pounds. And next thing you know, they have obstructive sleep apnea and it's probably something that could have been, still can be corrected, but you could have saved, that right. could have been done on the front end. So, okay. So certainly I'll buy into your argument for adolescence. I buy into your argument overall, okay? But I would push hard with parents and adolescents. Okay, I'll push hard, okay? I agree in that. But the hard part is, is part of it too, though, is we have to push hard with the orthodontists because what we're not, we're not. I think you at, push hard to oral surgeons that do the surgery and then they work with the orthodontist. I get that, but a lot of times the first people that are going to is orthodontists. And if, if you don't understand your orthodontist, it's no, they, but they no, come the patients home. come to us first and then we feed the orthodontist. Well, and so you're I, saying we should feed the oral surgeons first? In those specific cases, yes. Mm. And I'll make an argument as well. Or, that, or you um, should preset the patient that when you go to the orthodontist, insist on who is the oral surgeon or who is the surgical person to see but, if you would benefit. But I also point, make an argument. There's another group that I see a lot of. So a lot of my referrals are not necessarily orthodontists. They're actually from sleep docs and ENTs. Oh. So my, a lot of my practice, and then I'm triaging that patient now, having a preliminary conversation about, all right, you do have a skeletal deformity. You do have some orthodontic issues that ideally, in the ideal world, you should, I should send you to an orthodontist, do ortho, 
because that will change the surgery. That will benefit the surgery. Well, almost always it's combination, correct? Uh, no, no. There's a vast, there's a lot, you know, there are patients who are just by max retronathic. Okay. They have a good occlusion. There's really no, they may not necessarily need uh, orthodontics um, and they can have surgery. Okay. Yeah. Right. But I always tell them that orthodontics still may be needed because surgery may not keep your occlusion perfect either. There's always that millimeter chance of things not fitting. Together. So again, with adolescents, I 100% agree that we need to be, well, say, so here's what I believe, and this is going to be a plug, okay, uh, for our, the part two of sleep apnea training that I think we need uh, as 3D dentists to lead the charge on is, so we're doing a good job of helping our people work with adults, okay, picking the field goal cases, getting the right cases, getting the green light, slight yellow light cases, and getting there. But I think what is also happening, I think we need to start educating on the adolescents, okay, to do some type of habit correction at age six, seven, eight, nine, through movable devices, to then even at uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, to start looking at skeletal issues and start and start kind of farming our patients to the right place or the right people. Like I'd send somebody to DC to see them, and sure. if, if I tell a patient this is where you need to go, right? Um, so we need to start doing that. I think certainly, um, you know, uh, we we need to provide that education. So I keep inviting you down. The low, low price of nothing to come. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're turning that down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll buy you a ticket. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll send he'll put you up you. with your parents. Like, what oh, yeah. Go wrong? It's like, yeah it's like, it's I won't put you. you up here. I'll put you up with my parents, but uh, your parents do. <laughs> my, my, my challenge is, though, is that we as a general dentist, though, have to also understand where our orthodontists come from yes. and sometimes the philosophy in which they practice yeah. and be willing to challenge them a little bit and to think differently and to be open to surgery well, well, or, to I think just, or to bring in, to bring in this collaborative approach. Cause look, well, that's am, the next level of, of training. You know, correct. I am chief yeah. of wanting to be a super GP. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me but, be very But I think that. the definition having of super that, GP is having understanding of all the choices exactly. that are out there. But I'm also the chief now of wanting to have awesome relationships with specialists that at some point I can't do it. Well, nor should you do it. No, exactly. And at yeah. some point there has to be that level of like, this is where you punt and this is where you bring in your team because they get better care from that. And so that all goes back to education and trying to challenge our own selves because if we can't challenge the orthodontists, then the problem is, is we send them there and then they're thinking, oh, well, we can, they all start all of a sudden start preaching this non-surgical narrative. Or they do mini implants. And, 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 and sure. who, if yeah. you're a parent, it's, it's, you're going to be pro non-surgical. Right. When, and even if it's not going to benefit your 100%. child. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you know, the number of patients that probably I'm not seeing because the orthodontist knows there's a skeletal problem, kind of brought it up to the family. But and the, the their bias like, no. is, is projecting right. another one. And we just accept it. Like, oh, we told them the options. Well, and yeah, right. Just, and, and not yeah. to, and, you know, I hate knocking orthodontics, but the, it's become... They've, you know, like we mentioned earlier, their practices are changing, right? Smile Direct, Invisalign, uh, general dentistry taking on simple orthodontic cases. So they don't want to lose a case, right? So if they say Annie needs surgery, that patient's going to leave, walk out the door and go to the orthodontist right down to the door. He's no. like, no, you don't need surgery. We can fix this. We can camouflage this case. But, and this is where I would argue with, not argue, but I would just, and to me, until we had this conversation tonight, I am looking for a non-surgical approach. So to me, this discussion has to be led by your profession. It has to be yeah, led by it, more people like you. Well, being I would argue that we could, we could, we could lead it as educated well, we, dentists. We can now that we're in that yeah. position. But my point is, is that it, 
I would like to see it come more from mm. your profession. It, it, well, it's all around. They're the experts, right? Yeah, it, exactly. It, well, it's all around, right? So, say you know, a surgical candidate really should be somebody who's relatively close to skeletal maturity. So we're looking 14, 15, 16. It's probably the, on the younger side sometimes. But pediatric ENTs are taking tonsils and adenoids out on any any five or six year old that has suspicion of sleep apnea. That patient probably needs to also be seen by pediatric dentistry, orthodontics, things like that to monitor growth because there could be a skeletal. They need habit correctors. You know, they may need all those things. And, you know, that, that patient needs to be lifelong watched. And all these people need education so that to know that, hey, jaw surgery may be in your future and that's something that's coming down the road. Or tonsil and adenoids take care of it and habit correction yeah. takes care of it and you're done. Can I switch the conversation to adults? Well, how, how, what adults would benefit from this, from what you're talking about with uh, corrective jaw surgery? A lot. I mean... Uh, with T-bone? Uh, well, so theoretically... Other so, than the fact that he's a wimp? <laughs> other than the fact that he's a wimp and, and will not... Will be the worst surgical patient ever. <laughs> uh, theoretically... What makes you think that? <laughs> theoretically, right. So this is the challenge on our end, is that we... I can't... You don't look at T-bone and say he has a dental facial before. Right. And there's no skeletal issue. You know... You can make an argument maybe there's some mild mid-face protrusion, but this is, again, it's just subjective. I know? noticed a little mild mid-face protrusion. Whatever yeah. the hell that means. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so, you, you, know, you don't think of it right, much because right, occlusion right. is fine. Exactly. So theoretically, if he has a severe sleep apnea or Which even I do. moderate, right, that can maximally manipulate advance it benefit him, yes. The hard part is trying to figure out at how much benefit. Because literature, so this is where the science comes out to me, this is what a conversation I have with an adult is maximum mandibular advancement can benefit. It may take somebody who's the goal would be that you get 50% reduction in RDI, whichever one yeah. you follow. That is deemed a success in, in scientific literature. So the success rates, what we praise, sometimes are a little skewed because it may just be a 50% reduction, right? Which is still life saving. The no, biggest I may just thing, go from a 90 to a 45. Right. Well, that 90 to 45, the big thing for us is that it may make may uh, it may make CPAP tolerable. Sure. Or, or appliance huge. therapy more effective. More effective, right? So it may take that CPAP from plus 15 now to plus 5, and now you don't have a, a air blower in your face all night long. You have something that's more tolerable. So these are the conversations that are hard because you don't know. When I see somebody who's just has a, a retronathic mandible and a small chin, you know there's a skeletal deformity, and so you know that there's going to be a lot of benefit. How, how much surgery is it for an adult to get this done? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big surgery. It's not major surgery, but it is an eruption in life because the recovery from surgery can be anywhere from two, four, six weeks. Uh, but I can't go to work? Most patients, so my average patient who doesn't have a very intense job will be at home for two weeks at minimum. Yeah. I would probably say the adult, you know, uh, an older adult may be a month, you know, so but everybody's recovery is a little bit different. Mine have trouble skipping yoga on Fridays, you know, so, but there's risk to it. Um, you know, the biggest one that I think most people are always concerned about, especially in dentistry is, is the concept of numbness, uh, that, you know, they're going to have numbness of their concept. lips. Yeah. Well, concept. I, that was the first question I asked him. I said, okay, how many on these, when you're doing these bilateral sagittal splits, how many are being numb? You right. Know? So, the, you know, because that's terrifying the, to us. As right. The maxilla, the vast majority get almost 95, 96% recovery. Uh, during a sagittal split in an adult, you're going to see some level of, of change in sensation. Dysthesia, basically. Not dysthesia. Okay. No, no. They're going to have hyposthesia of some sort or paresthesia. Okay. 
like a tingling of the lip yeah. or something like that. Right. Dysesthesia means it's painful. Okay. And that's rare. Okay. You know, have you, have I had a patient have dysesthesia? Yes. And I always warn because that's, you see that more commonly as the older you get, that the chance of having dysesthesia is higher. Gosh. So that's always a scary one, right? So dysesthesia is the one that you always kind of, I have to frame that for patients that there's a chance of having some numbness, but sensory. And I'll tell you that in my practice, I, I would say the nine out of 10 patients at one year later will tell you that it doesn't bother them. They, they sure. some don't even know it's there. They may still have a little bit. And a lot of them would say they'll do surgery to get it. Does traditional orthodontic surgery address this? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they take into account expansion and, yes. and uh, you know, if you're going to correct someone's occlusion, uh, the vast majority of the time, the occlusion is going to dictate a lot of what you're going to, to for, for someone who's a, a narrow maxilla, you can't set a, a class one bite without expanding the maxilla. Okay. The change in, in, in paradigm probably is more that uh, in the eighties and nineties, it seemed to be that setbacks, mandibular right. setbacks were much more common yeah, four on the floor, you know, versus now we're, we're very much a pro, moving mandibles, maxillas forward and trying to minimize setback. Now, I'm not saying that we don't set mandibles back. It's yeah. more just that, you know, versus, you, you know, they used to set back mandibles eight, 10 millimeters. And now we may actually move the maxilla forward five or six versus two. I gotcha. To, to minimize the setback. Right. Okay. Interesting. So basically the gist of it is, is orthodontic surgery, jaw corrective surgery, is an option that we should be discussing with select sleep apnea patients that are severe or have obvious skeletal deformities because it may be a true correction of the problem versus an appliance, which is a management, or a CPAP, which is a management. Especially if there's a skeletal deformity. Yeah. So even patients who don't or have a good occlusion, maximum injury advancement is still a a potential alternative or solution for them. Right. So you'll be happy to start uh, being part of the level two class and, and part two? I th- Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I think this is such an interesting... And I can know, pay you nothing? Well, we may have to work on that one a little bit. Yeah, remember, I'm in a hospital. Mom will send you home with food. Yeah, I'm guaranteed to take food back home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you take care of Look, my dog and kids. I, selfishly, okay? I think you would, there would be... There's a ton of value in that. I mean, we need... The problem is we need more people like yourself speaking. We just need to learn more. Exactly. And because it it all comes back to you don't know what you don't know. You do the best you can with what you got. And sometimes, you know, you you make sacrifices because you don't know any different. And this is one of those, this is one of those times. I already can think of patients who are like, gosh, maybe we should have been more proactive in pushing surgery. When my initial instinct prior to our discussion earlier this evening was, Avoid surgery at all costs. Like that's the worst thing you want to do is surgery. Right. And, and, and you remember, you have to keep in mind that also that just at least have the conversation with the patient. I mean, someone who's mild, who doesn't have much a device. It's all is, cost, is, pro, yeah, right. risk benefits. You know, but yeah. if you have a severe sleep apnea patient, that person needs to have that treatment. Because yeah. this is a deadly disease, ultimately. What do you know about like tongue stimulators or some of those things? Are you familiar with a lot of I that? I am, yeah. So do you do any of that work? I personally don't, but uh, one of the ENT surgeons I work with closely is is doing a lot of those procedures. Um, you know, the hypoglossal nerve stimulator uh, is a device that almost like, the best way I would describe it is it's, it's like a pacemaker that gets put in your chest. There's leads that go to the hypoglossal nerve, which... At nighttime, you cut it on, and so if it senses that your chest is not moving, it'll send a little signal to your hypoglossal nerve to stick your tongue out. It doesn't. You don't notice. You won't know it. It doesn't wake you up. It doesn't change anything for you. Google invented this, didn't they? 
It's kind of um, like the Inspire to some degree, right? I have no idea. And the Inspire, like a little shock. That is, it's Inspire. The Inspire device is a hyperglossal nerve. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay. Um, the interesting thing so far is that there's very strict parameters for for a patient with sleep apnea to be a candidate for the Inspire device. Will medical insurance get payment for adults to get some of this orthognathic surgery you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Especially on the level of obstructive sleep apnea, knowing wow. that it's a deadly disease. Wow. You know, as long so as they have to meet criteria, probably. They have to meet criteria. But, yeah, but medical insurance, I mean, the vast majority of corrective jaw surgery I do is covered under medical insurance. And so almost all of this will be in most hospitals or surgeons that are doing this are doing it in a hospital setting. Right. They're going to be in network. So some of these. Yeah. yeah. Someone like me, my practice is very much insurance, medical insurance heavy. So, yeah, I'm in network with a significant. How much of the focus providers. is being driven on like growth and development and trying to avoid that, like going down even into. Yeah, so that's a that's early, an area that early or six to eight years old. Yeah, so. yeah, or even even going. I mean, we can go even back to infants now and tongue ties and what they're mm-hmm. you know, starting to see from that standpoint. You know, I I'm I still have a, a big bias because we just don't have enough literature for like me to biofunctional therapy yeah, and some of that stuff. Know. Uh, the academic community's coming out. Yeah, the, the acad- I don't have thirty years of literature, so I will wait, wait thirty years. Until well, you know, you know, so it's funny because I get I've had people argue with me. That's and a say, huge thing. Like that that's a huge jaw market surgery, right now. Jaw surgery like, doesn't work. You know, I've had people tell me that, and it's just like all right. So, you know, so myofunctional therapy, I think it's still in its infancy. I cannot support it just because it. I just don't. I don't see it. Sure. Even in the children's hospital I work at, you don't. That's not a not common a, thing. Being, yeah, it's not a common thing. You know, the, yeah. and. There's a huge market, obviously, a, holistically so, outside so, and, of that approach. And I'll be, building. And this is where I, I turn into the jerk and say, you know, because people are getting paid for tongue ties, I see it be, tongue ties being every kid needs a tongue ties app. You know, it needs a lingual for Of course they do. I, I don't buy it, but, you know. But the flip side of that is that's also what drives progression and that there's obviously some truth to some of that, right? Or I mean, no, there got, the answer is yes. I think there he's is. not going to say yes because he doesn't have the literature to back right, it up. But, but so I can at, see my mom getting angry right now because we're getting ready to start that know, conversation. I, no, but, but I like that. That's what I. That's why we're uh, here, I, right? You know, to have that kind if, of conversation. If, you know, if there's a legitimate large freedom, yes, there's no doubt about it in my mind that phrenectomy should be done. I know people who are, who are going around basically cutting says tongues. We're, on we're pushing the limits for money. Is what he said. I'm worried about. I'm not saying I'm saying. I'm worried I'm worried about that. It's a concern. You know, so yeah, in my practice, who I do phrenectomies, of course, and I see a lot of patients who come in who need a phrenectomy, but there are moms who come in who say, uh, you know, my baby's not latching very well. It's a huge thing, huge thing right now. You know, I can't promise them that doing a phrenectomy is going to change that. No, there's but it's so a first choice. Animals. Well, if there's not it's a, a choice, it's, it's a choice, but if not, the anatomy's not jumping out at you to say that this is so probably then, so, a problem. So there's, there's cases where you, may say i don't think it's necessary to do i've i there are cases where i've i've hesitated to say that i think that this will benefit you the hard part to say is there downside to doing it there's not a ton of risk oh sure but crying baby honest, for 30 seconds yeah. right crying baby for a couple you know 30 seconds and that's it but i can't promise anyone that if i don't see if in my eyes i judge that there's an anatomic problem that zapping the, uh, you know cutting the freedom is going to be interesting yeah. but again you know, my mind works based on having some legitimate science behind things and not, not a key opinion leader who's just kind of made it up. On, well, and know, I get outside. that. Why and are you I, looking at me? I not you. Wait, you know, we've had this before. But, one, about, but on one hand, that's, that, that's a hard thing because on one hand, you're exactly right. If, if we always went off what literature said, 
there would be little progression. We'd still be doing amalgams. Exactly. Right. So we have to be progressive. We have to think differently. And there's got to be things. We have to accept people, a group of people pushing the limits. Because that's when progress yeah, is. Yeah, everything's, you know, going back to science, everything's on the bell curve, right? So you're exactly gonna, right. You're going to yeah, have, exactly you have right. people who are way far behind. You have people who are way far pushing things ahead. And then you have people who are just falling in the middle. So um, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have enough to talk about lingual phrenectomy from the my you know the oral facial myology side and the sleep apnea side and, and well and, and it makes sense too being where you are at in your position dealing with what you do you're probably you, you got to fall more into the middle of the bell curve yeah. I, I, and I, fair? yeah and in I a I hospital setting based on medical insurance you're going to be in the middle that's of what i'm saying curve. i think that's okay. maybe towards the back whereas end of the you curve. as a private practitioner have the opportunity to potentially to seek out people that are willing to go outside of medical insurance basically be on the further end of that yeah so it's just something that, you know, and we also, you know, there's always a medical legal side of things too. So that's totally. always in the back of the mind that you have to be cognizant. And the that. bean counters are definitely aware of that. <laughs> always. <laughs> the suits as I like to call them. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I can't believe I, I've been doing this podcast four years and haven't had him on. Uh, I, w- I want to say how proud I am of you uh, other than the fact that you live in DC and that you work at a hospital. But other than that, you're unbelievably knowledgeable, um, and uh, it's and good. I, and I reciprocate. I think uh, the the team that you've built and you guys are working together on it's just it's what dentistry needs. Um, I wish that you mean that, we need less wows and nachos. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what's funny is he's living in a world that totally doesn't have nachos and wows. That's why we know Zero. he's doing it right. I have no idea what yeah. you're talking about. But you know, it's you know, dental education. There's a there's something about dental education that has to change, especially on the dental school side, and this is kind of what a young uh, someone who's coming out needs is a group of people who are passionate or interested in pushing it and saying, "Get educated." That's a and that's what I fun. love about it. And make it fun. Yeah, make it, you know, well, whatever if, it takes to get something. And if I can encourage you, we would love to have you, and I hope he will pay you good hey, money to come. No, no, and I'll make no, sure. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been the running joke no, for a I know, long time. I know, I know, I know. So, are but, you going to help me with serious. the dick program? I, I think, I think, I think. One, we need you to come for the dick program, the dental implant continuum that we're starting in 2020, and 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 sleep two needs you. I think, I think we would we would all benefit from this kind of sleep knowledge to, to know this perspective and know what's out there. And I'm, ha- I'm happy to talk about it. So I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do on the sleep side. Uh, me, you and Aaron will get on a zoom call, a Skype call and uh, we'll have a conversation be because uh, she, she definitely has better questions asking. White T-bone has to yeah, be, I gotta there. be there, right? Well, what about me? Oh, skinny white T-bone <laughs> and short. I'm excited that you called me skinny. That's good. <laughs> well, compared to me. <laughs> compared to me. me well. My wife's going to be pumped that someone called me skinny this weekend. <laughs> compared to me and Ravi, certainly that is. Uh, so, Ravi, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, oh, that's always the RaviDDS at gmail.com. Yeah, I guess you can throw my personal email out there. That's <laughs> really? no, no offense, Ravi, but it wasn't that hard to figure out. Are you really? Like, yeah. that's original. Let's yeah. be personal. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it, was, it used to be Tagarwal DDS. It still know, so is. I, I, I just, just don't use it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, but I followed suit. I, you know, I'm not the creative one. I have him yeah, the creative. Yeah. I just follow and suit. you work at the MedStar Washington Hospital Center Correct. Yeah, in, in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, you can certainly find him there. Well, I'd be the first one to say if if you're an oral surgeon or if you're, <laughs> oh, yeah, his birthday is October 1983. But if you're if you're a young dentist, biodata, because obviously Bio-data. we have, we have, a, we have a, a huge group of people who are either biodata, slightly weakest complexion. Y'all are ridiculous. <laughs> 
Anywho, as I was saying, very homely, professional. <laughs> if you are a young dentist who is uh, either either right out of school trying to figure out something, or you're you're trying to figure out, hey, does it make sense to go into residency? I would totally reach out to him. Slightly balding. And pick his brain, pick his brain <laughs> Just a little. to see what's going on. What you I mean, anybody who's interested in oral surgery, by all means, reach out and, and I'll tell you the good side. So of let it. me, I got, I got to end on this. All okay? right. I got, go. I got to end on this. Okay. So you were just here last week, wasn't it? Or the week two before, ago. two weeks ago. Yeah. So he came in and I'm like, mm-hmm. so I'm doing the political thing. I'm like, so Ravi, listen, so if I have a friend that I want to get an interview, can you just make that happen for me? And he's like, well, not exactly. I'm like, but aren't you program director? I'm like, he's like, well, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. I'm like, so if I needed a favor, you couldn't get you that for me. No, a favor? it's not even that. He said, well, no, let me just rephrase it. If I want to do all surgery, <laughs> can I come to your program? And I was like, <laughs> like I, I just come in right, right now. <laughs> so can, you, said, can you get me into your program? And I was like, definitely not. <laughs> You are not qualified. What kind of brother <laughs> wouldn't get their own brother a spot in a program that in theory is run? And, I, and when he said that, I said, well, I can, I can, I can lean people some ways, but I, I can't promise that you're going to get in. And, and not to mention that he'd probably be like, well, this guy, he's going to have his own motives, his own ideas, <laughs> and he's going to listen to anything that literature has to say. And then, then he said, well, don't you think I'll be a good candidate? And I was like, I don't think you're ready to work 80 hours a week and not sleep. Or ready to work for someone else. <laughs> That's the big one. I, I, well, for I, education, you would. But, uh, you know, maybe. maybe. At this maybe. point in his career, I'd <laughs> like to see that. Maybe. Maybe. Love you, Ravi. Love I you appreciate much. it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Well, hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, go ahead and check out the T-Bone Speaks podcast. <laughs> uh, leave us a five-star review. And, and you also need to check out the Millennial Dentist podcast. You should. It's and leave podcast. them a four-star review. Yeah, four, four and a half, five-star. We appreciate that. But, hey. Everybody works smarter, not harder. We love you. Where'd you learn that from? Come come check us out at 3ddentist.com. We'd love to have you on our courses, and we will see you next time. Hey, podcast family. T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.